You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season on Working, we took a trip to Baltimore to chat with some of its residents about the various ways they make their livings there. We were hoping to learn a little about the ways that Baltimore shapes their work and about the ways they're shaping Baltimore by working. Our latest episode, the final installment in our Baltimore series, came about when we got an email that opened, I have a cool job. Responding to it eventually brought us to Baltimore's docks. Can we come on here? Yeah. Um, That's us arriving at our destination, a multi-masted War of 1812-style schooner called the Pride of Baltimore II. We'd come to interview the author of that email, a guy named Jordan Smith, who serves as co-captain of the Pride. As it turned out, his job was, in fact, quite cool. We talked to him in a cabin below decks where he spoke to us about the ship's history and his role in its present operations. He also gave us a tour, talked about maintenance, and explained the Pride of Baltimore II's relationship to the city, which shares its name. Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Captain Smith talks about racing the Pride of Baltimore II getting into the combination of strategy and efficiency that ensures this huge, heavy-looking boat can absolutely tear through the water. It's pretty cool. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. Start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. Ready to get going? All right. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Jordan Smith. I'm one of the two captains of the Pride of Baltimore II, which is a War of 1812 era recreation of what's called a Baltimore Clipper. What is a Baltimore Clipper exactly? Baltimore Clippers were extremely fast vessels that grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. Their hull form and their rig were unique enough that they're recognizable anywhere in the world. And during the War of 1812, they were used pretty much for anything where speed is at a premium, whether you're chasing something or running away from something. So um, the Pride of Baltimore II, her name comes about because uh, there was a famous captain named Thomas Boyle. That's him. We keep a picture of him here because he is, you know, he's why we have a ship, kind of indirectly speaking. He had a privateer called the Chasseur, which was roughly about the size of this. Privateer is it? A privateer is a privately owned government licensed warship okay. because we didn't have much of a navy at the time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we had to turn to this kind of, you know, mercenaries essentially sure. just to get things done. And Thomas Boyle, his most famous cruise, he actually had a proclamation taken ashore to Lloyd's of London and had it nailed to the door that he was placing the entire British Isles under blockade with just the chasseur. <laughs> and he raised all kinds of havoc, and insurance weights went through the roof and captured 30 ships or something like that. And when he got back to Baltimore, the newspapers hailed the chasseur as the pride of Baltimore. Nice. So move forward to 1977 as part of a revitalization effort of the Inner Harbor the idea was to recreate one of these famous vessels, a Baltimore Clipper. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is Pride of Baltimore II. The first Pride of Baltimore was launched in 1977, but was lost at sea in 1986. Oh. And 
there was an immediate and large outpouring of support to build a second vessel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a little sign in the F cabin that says, remember the jar of pennies, because some kids like all got together and sent us a big jar of pennies to huh. help build the ship. So this vessel was launched in 1988. Uh, what do you do as its co-captain? What are your responsibilities? What's your life like on, on board? Well... As the captain of the ship, one of the things is just keeping everything going. Mm-hmm. I feel like I spend more time in Home Depot than is entirely proper. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have a little belief that the time I spend like wandering around in Home Depot is not actually subtracted from my lifespan. So, um, so there's that aspect of it. You're the manager, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of allocating who does what and when and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And the direct hands-on management of the crew is more done by the first mate and mm-hmm. so captains are sort of an, an upper tier su- supervisory role for that mm-hmm. aspect of things and then of course i sail the ship and uh that can vary from just doing a little poking around sail in baltimore or mm-hmm. last year we went to the great lakes mm-hmm. um, i sailed the ship as far as duluth wow. which is the tail end of lake superior um, it was geographically satisfying because I just kept sailing till there was no more Great Lake, and then I <laughs> got to turn around and go home. Um, was that <clears throat> part of an exhibition? Were you were you taking people on a tour? Yes, there are a series of tall ship festivals, mm. and last year it was on the Great Lakes. It's one of the ways that we have to generate some revenue. Mm-hmm. It can involve taking people sailing. It, sometimes can involve what's called deck tours where we're just alongside a dock and people come on we have a display that we set up describing the history of the vessel and all Mm -hmm. that stuff it's part of our job Uh, we are partially funded by the state and we're sort of maryland's tall ship we go and tell the story of the war of 1812 and the star-spangled banner and all that stuff because the baltimore clippers are a kind of indirect reason why we have the star-spangled banner that's Mm -hmm. why the british came up the Chesapeake to bombard Baltimore was to get at the shipyards that were building these things because they were causing so much trouble. So, so it's a big part of the nation's history, but also the state's. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What's your history with with regard to this boat? How how, how did you end up the co-captain of uh, of a tall ship? Practice, man. <laughs> Have you always been a sailor? Though? Yes, I've, I've, I grew up in a sailing family. I was taken on boats from the age of six months onwards, mm-hmm. and um, earlier in life, I was kind of a semi-professional racing sailor. I worked Mm in sail lofts that make sails for boats and did a lot of racing. And um, as I got into my upper 30s, the boats kept getting lighter and faster and I kept getting older and creakier. (laughs) It kind of became time to shift to something else. So that's when I started taking on jobs, commanding traditional ships. And um, as it turns out, this ship, because the Baltimore Clippers are pretty high performance as tall ships go, they're, they're high powered and fast, and we race this vessel a lot. Uh, that was part of what appealed to uh, Jan Miles, who is the, the senior captain. He's been around since this vessel was built and before. He's been here a very long time. And part of what appealed to him about my resume was that combination of performance sailing and traditional sail. So here I am. But I assume that racing a boat like this one, from your perspective as captain, a lot different than racing well, some, like a, a smaller Oh, it, it certainly is. It's actually a lot of fun. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is quite a bit different. And it is an immensely 
complicated thing to do even on a simple boat it's probably the most complicated sport there is and when you add the size and complexity of this vessel into the mix it becomes a very very interesting challenge how large is this from tip to tip she's 157 feet that's quite large yeah when you're not involved in one of these intense races, what are your day-to-day responsibilities on board? Like in the cabin that we're in right now, it looks like there's some bunks, some people sleep on board. Well, those are the guest cabins. Oh, okay. Um, the crew, most of them, live up in what's called the forecastle. It's sort of a bowlerization of forecastle in an old-fashioned term. It's kind of a bunk room kind of thing out there. The officers' cabins are after the engine room, mm-hmm. and these are guest cabins. And what they are for is when we're on a passage or a race, you know, moving the ship from one place to the other in whatever way we're doing it, uh, we have a guest crew program where people can sign up and come along. And when we say guest crew, we mean guest crew. We don't mean sitting on deck with a drink with an umbrella sure. in it, you know. <laughs> we try to make that clear that like you know, are, the are idea- they paying for the responsibility though uh, yeah it's or the opportunity i suppose yeah, the yeah opportunity it, to have responsibility. it's um i forget exactly what the rate is but it's somewhere around 120 or 130 dollars a day mm-hmm. and we have six slots that we could give over to that at any given time how often do you have people on board uh well it's when we're traveling okay you know so this year we are going from here to Charleston, South Carolina, and then we're doing a race from Charleston to Bermuda, mm. and another race from Bermuda to Boston, and then the ship is coming back to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So for all of those legs, we will have those guest crew slots okay. filled. And to your question about like day-to-day stuff, it's you know quite a bit different. Like like when we're tied to the dock and working on the ship, it seems to me that my job is to go to Home Depot. But there's certain you know we we have an office with a staff of around five or six, uh, executive director, a couple of project managers, a media person, and so on. And so there's a certain amount of meeting with them and doing kind of the long range planning sort of stuff, the races, the events, day sales, charters, what ports we're going to visit, and so on and so forth, and. When the ship is traveling, of course, then basically I'm making all the navigation and safety decisions and choosing what sail plan is to be set and monitoring the weather and uh, all of that stuff. So do it's you, just a whole different set of responsibilities. Do you ever literally stand at a wheel of a ship? Is there a wheel on this There is. Ship? It's aft. More often, I mean, during like the start of a race in particular, mm-hmm. I, I will steer the ship then. And and at various other times, just when it's an all-hand situation and everybody's got to do something, I'll grab it just so there's an extra pair of hands, you know. Mm-hmm. More often than not, one of the crew is steering. And uh, my counterpart always makes a joke, like, someone said, you don't even have an autopilot on that <laughs> thing. And he says, what? I have ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> the crew, that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is a very tall ship. Uh, do people, as in my childish imagination of what it is like to crew a tall ship actually have to climb the masts oh, yeah. and, and, Absolutely, and do yeah. stuff up there while you're yeah, on the yeah. way? If you noticed the yards, which are the, the cross pieces, mm-hmm. right? uh, the upper one of those has the topsail furled to it. And it is pretty much exactly like your childish imaginations. They have to climb up there I'm and get out it. on the yard to furl the sail and all that wow. stuff. Yeah. Do you ever do that stuff? I dislike going aloft <laughs> i worked as a rigger for many years i can't even imagine like 
not liking heights and working at the top of sailboat masts all the time is not smart, you know. So, um, I've been up, you know. It's just that it's not required of my job, and so. Yeah. Um, but if there's something to inspect up there that we have some question about how we're going to fix or something like that, You'll go check I'll it out. do it, but I won't love it. Reluctantly. Yeah. <laughs> what about other things that, that might uh, interrupt the pleasures of a voyage? Uh, seasickness ever a problem on board? For some. Not for you? No, not for me personally. Um I've only come close to being seasick once, and that was on a race on a modern boat um, called the One Design 48. And we were doing a race from Annapolis to Bermuda, and we were crossing the Gulf Stream in probably a 35-knot north wind. And so what happens there is you have the Gulf Stream, which is an ocean current, going north, and you have the wind blowing from the north, and they're against one another, and so the waves get extremely steep very Mm. quick. So the boat's slamming up and down Oh yeah, just leaping up and down, and you know, this was the kind of thing where, uh, you know, everyone is wearing a safety harness and is clipped on, and every once in a while, happened two or three times, waves would break on the boat and wash everyone off the rail to the end of their tethers, like twang, 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 twang. And uh, just when I was steering the boat, I was fine because you have something to concentrate on. But mm. if you're just sitting there and, like, getting washing machines, I got a little queasy. I didn't get sick sick, but I got a little queasy. <laughs> Do your, uh, your guest crew ever get... Uh... It, yeah, it happens. Yeah. When you're under sail, how do you dress? I mean, do you, do you wear a, a captain suit or you just... Like, so can you tell us a little bit about how you're dressed today? Where <laughs> well, I we, we are, um, we are uh, sponsored by Under Armour, mm-hmm. is what these nice jackets Baltimore are. Baltimore-based company. Yep. They have given us these jackets, and, well, that's a different layer, but... Polos. Yep. And, and the whole crew has them. Uh, most of them, you'll see, they're in their working clothes now. Uh, and if you look around, you'll see that their working clothes are spectacularly dirty because they're always working with paint and tar and you know yeah and so in the course of a regular working day they don't wear the nice duds but when we're taking passengers on board or Mm -hmm. when we're working with the state government like the governor was on board the other day we kind of get shined up a little bit and i thank god i do not have to wear like there are captains who have to wear that silly like captain stubing outfit with the the dumb hat and yeah and the epaulettes and everything like that would have been a deal breaker for me, man. <laughs> Just too too silly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you do you get to shave or do you grow a beard while you're uh, out? Well, I'm just lazy about shaving. Um, I had a beard last year. I had to shave it off recently because I'm upgrading the level of my captain's license, and one of the things I needed was an advanced firefighting class. Oh, and. In the advanced firefighting class, you go to the Baltimore Fire Academy, and you know they set the building on fire, and you have the oxygen bottle and the whole thing. But you can't have a beard; you have to be clean shaven, like an OSHA kind of thing, yeah. I suppose. Do you imagine you'll grow back though? Well, uh, if I keep being lazy about shaving, then that's what this will turn into. So. <laughs> <laughs> when you're out for a while, uh, how's the uh, how's the food on board? You've got a nice kitchen here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's called a galley on a ship. Galley, pardon and, me. Uh, and, you know, when you're out for an extended period, uh, the towards the end of the period, pickings can get a little slim sometimes, but most of the time Phil is very on the ball about the provisioning side of things. So that's part of the planning that we do is working with him to 
tell him how long we're going to be away so that he could plan accordingly and, mm-hmm. and, and just lay in enough provisions for everything. Mm-hmm. And um, these guys work very, very hard. And so Phil's really great with field hand food like <laughs> like stick to a your lot of calories kind of stuff yeah exactly yeah. yeah do you find that you get exhausted when you're out or or are you as captain more well, able ten- to conserve your energy what tends to happen because i don't stand to watch but i'm on call all the time is um in high traffic situations you mean if there are other other boats? ships around yeah, ships yeah. Around? like on the great lakes this happened mm-hmm. several times you get woken up a lot and so it's when you have an extended period where you can't really get a decent REM cycle in. You could get a little raggedy, for sure, yeah. Um, but other times, like on ocean passages and stuff, it, it could be a pretty peaceful existence. You're listening to Captain Jordan Smith of the Pride of Baltimore 2. In a minute, he gives us a tour of the ship. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Would you be willing to uh, take us on a little tour of the, the ship? Sure, absolutely. All right, let's check it out. This is the uh, what's called the forecastle. This is where the majority of the crew sleeps. As you can see, it's kind of a bunk room sort of arrangement. Everyone's got a little privacy curtain, but... It looks pretty cramped, uh, though. Living space on these things, unless you're the captain of it, is uh, you don't get much solitary space, that's for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, here, what you're standing in is the galley. As you can see, it's pretty well equipped. We have two stoves. This is a propane one. This is a diesel-powered one. We call the diesel-powered one Chernobyl. <laughs> um, it, uh, when the weather is cold, we typically leave the diesel one lit and it just heats up this whole space pretty mm-hmm. nicely <clears throat> looks like a lot of copper is that for the backing for this backsplash there yeah it's it's heat shielding basically yeah and the crew some of them polish it more obsessively than others but they do polish it and uh refrigerator and freezer are underneath this counter here mm-hmm. uh underneath haley's birthday cake <laughs> and uh 
This is called the cabin sole, S-O-L-E. That's the floor that we're yeah, talking about here? The floor. And uh, as you can see, there's panels that lift up, and underneath there is um, more storage space. What, what kind of stuff do you keep in that storage? Well, for instance, this pile of junk that you have here, that, those are our souvenirs that we, we have T-shirts and hats and such that we mm -hmm. can sell people. Those two ship hull models are part of our education program, mm -hmm. uh, describing the hull shape of Baltimore Clippers and why they're, why they're so fast. Uh, so we have that stuff. There's, you know, there's tools, there's spare parts, there's all kinds of things. So you get a collection of DVDs here? Yes. Uh, yeah, we got a flat screen TV that we stow away, and uh, I think that, well, they watched The Princess Bride last night. So every once in a while, we'll even do that, uh, have a movie night on deck out in the ocean, which is pretty fun. Nice. <clears throat> Super fun. As we go aft here... Uh, these are, that's the cook's cabin, that's Phil's cabin, and Phil and the engineer share that one. Uh, these, these other three are guest cabins. Is there ever drama when you have people in these kind of close quarters? It happens, but it doesn't happen as much as you might think. Uh, people who do this for a living are either good at living in close quarters or they rapidly stop doing it. Darwin is everywhere, you know what I mean? So, so. <laughs> Like every, you know, I mean, we've had crew members that were a little on the abrasive side. That was there was one that that scolded Phil a little too much last year, and and uh, you know, so not a crew member anymore. Not a crew member anymore. But, but <laughs> he has veto power. The cook has enormous power on his ship. I wouldn't scold the guy that has a bunch of knives for one thing. Uh, this is the main mast as it goes down and oh, wow. is, ste is stepped on the keel. Is this wood? Yeah, yeah. They are laminated. So this is a huge white. Kind of octagonal pole, I guess. Is yes, what it looks they, like they, from our perspective down they here. Are, the original spars for this vessel were just trees, basically one solid piece. Uh, they dramatically and spectacularly fell over the side in France about ten years ago, and so they they, they were replaced with uh, laminated spars. They're still wood, but they're they're laminated with uh, resorcinol glue which makes them stronger and lighter than just a tree and also uh, more resistant to, to damage by rot. Nice. Because you know, the, if one section rots, it's not going to go across a glue line into another section. Whereas a tree is billions of years of evolution have, have made trees transmit water. That's what they're for. Right? So, so, so you want something that's not going to soak up all that. Exactly, that yeah, yeah. So we're going to go through this watertight door here. So this looks much more like a modern ship, as we yeah, think of yeah. It. You just We're went in an engine from, room here. You just basically. went from 1812 to like you know a destroyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, these are engines. They are twin 150 horse Caterpillar diesels. Mm -hmm. Smells like diesel. Yeah. Uh, we just uh, the engineer just replaced the valve cover gasket on this one. Um, that's our generator. That's and for powering everything. Well, board, right really? now we're plugged into uh, shore power, okay. so we could we could just get a, get a big cord and just plug into the dock and run all our electric stuff stuff yeah. off that. But we can create power through the engines, alternators, and through the uh, generator. Cool. And uh, over in there, that is the battery bank, the mm -hmm. ship's house batteries. We have engine start batteries, and those, and uh, those white boxes there are called inverters. Um, they're inverter chargers, so what they do is they charge the batteries, 
and they also turn DC power, which you get out of a battery, into AC power, which is what you get out of a house outlet. And there are, uh, looks like little portholes? Uh, oh, no, nah, that's not the right word for it. I don't know. What, what's the word for these? Uh, hatches. Hatches, that's the word. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, so uh, there are hatches that are going up, up to the deck right. uh, from yeah. this room here. Yeah. These are the controls for our water maker. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, and basically you take salt water and pump it at very high pressure through extremely fine membranes and make fresh water out of it. Okay. It's um, so that we don't have to carry an enormous amount of water in our water tanks. We can just make it whenever we need it. Nice. Have to replace those filters often? Yeah, every couple of years. This is the aft cabin. This is where the officers live. That large one behind you there, that is the captain's cabin. So, depending on who's working, whether it's Jan or I, that's that's our home while we're while we're here. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, back there and back there are the first and second mate's cabins. And here's one of the heads. A little shower. A little shower. Hand pump toilet. And. Uh, this is called a butterfly hatch, and it's both of these lids open up, and so when it gets hot, it's very nice to just kind of have a fan going down here and have that open. It looks, uh, looks like a skylight. Yeah. Uh, in in the cabin itself, all the wood, beautiful, heavily varnished. Mm -hmm. Is that practical as well as uh, aesthetic? Well, it is protection for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a nice sheen on all of the wooden surfaces. Right, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, anything in the, the marine environment is extremely harsh, and so protecting the wood is a lot of what we work on. And also, we go through the sort of inner skeleton of the boat, and we, because Baltimore Harbor is brackish, it's not full salt like the ocean, we actually put uh, sodium borate down there because salt water is very good for wood. It pickles it, mm -hmm. preserves it. Like ships on the Great Lakes, you'll see them sometimes, they'll take that, that salt that you get for your driveway and, you know, and just dump it in the bilge, so that's salt water in the bilge. Huh. <clears throat> uh, should we go up through here? Yeah, um, well, this is uh, the navigation table. Okay. Um, as you can see... You got a radio here? As you can see, we're pretty modern back here too. This, this, is, um, this is our charting program. And uh, on a nice uh, computer screen there. Yeah, and I'll show you us. That's us. And what you're seeing here, that's called AIS, uh, Automated Identification System, I think. But uh, it gives you all the large commercial traffic and uh, the name of the ship, the direction it's heading, the speed it's going, how close it will come to you, so on and so forth. And uh, this is single sideband radio for communication way out in the ocean. That is a weather fax machine that will send you weather reports, both in text and as, as like, you know, weather charts. You have this whole range of technology on board, it seems like, from different eras of fax machine. It's a hand crank pencil sharpener. But then there's also this, this advanced uh, uh, mapping system and uh, radios that look like they could be from... 20, 30 years ago, just uh, the range from, from the 19th century 
to the present. I call it Smith's first law of technology. And uh, basically, you know, as you pointed out, we have all this old stuff that's been around for centuries, and we have the modern stuff like, you know, fax machines and computers and, and, and water makers and so on. And the law is the ability of a given piece of technology to infuriate me is an in inverse proportion to its age. <laughs> like all the old stuff works perfectly every time. And all the stuff that breaks is the new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that sign, remember the jar of pennies. Yes, there's the jar of pennies. <clears throat> and, uh, this is one of my favorite pictures of the ship. This was taken uh, as she was sailing out of Hawaii. And as you can see, she's rolling. <laughs> yeah. This is fun. Okay, there. Yeah. So this is the steering wheel. The wheel turns kind of a, a gear drive, which you can sort of see there. And that really is rudder, that greasy. Is, that is the rudder post sticking up there. So it's. So right now we're at the back of the ship. What's the proper nautical term there? Stern. We're at the stern, yes. looking out. <laughs> uh, so you're facing away from where you're going when you're when you're working the. Uh... Well, you just, oh, oh, you got to look where you're going. All right. Um, so and actually, that's a. It's one it's of the not more like a steering wheel than in a car. It's one of the more common misconceptions that that every time, you know, we're sitting at the dock. There'll be people who will come up to the steering wheel because it's mounted on this gearbox, which is behind it, right? And people, they think they're looking at, like, the dashboard of a car or something like that. And so they will walk up to the wheel, and they'll face exactly backwards when they grab the wheel. And it's like, man, the bow is that way, you know? And, and um, you know, it's forgivable when we're sitting at the dock, but I've seen people do it tearing along under sail. Like, hey, can I steer? And, you know... We're obviously moving that way, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and they they do the same thing. They face exactly the wrong way. You have some <laughs> little uh, small guns uh, on the sides here. Are any of those functional at all? Those two little ones are not. They they are what what's called swivel guns. They once were functional, but uh, they got old. The touch holes got corroded, and so we don't fire them anymore. Uh, the the three of them that you see there, up towards the middle of the ship. Oh yeah, those are ro rolling cannons. Yes, those do fire. Uh, we don't, we just shoot blanks just to make noise. But sure. it, it it is fun to uh, sail into a harbor and um, you know round up close enough to the dock. But when you fire off the cannons, it sets off car alarms. <laughs> it's one of our more fun things. <clears throat> In another job, and another type of sailing ship, we would do what were called. Uh, battle sails in that we had two ships and we would try to maneuver in the ways that you would have with a sailing ship during a sea battle mm. uh, it was pretty it was challenging and fun yeah <clears throat> so this the largest one here this is the mainsail and uh it's enormous yeah right now we just have the we have the lights rigged up how high so, are the how high is this master uh 107 <clears throat> so almost as long as the the vessel itself yeah yeah exactly and uh as you can see there's a it's called rake these, you look up these masts and they're sort of tilted back yeah. that's that, that's called it's called to rake the mast and many chesapeake craft 
have that attribute, including the Baltimore Clippers and and Pungi schooners like the Lady Maryland who lives over there, and uh, skipjacks and so on. What's the function of that angled setup? It is the subject of much debate. I could give you a synopsis of what I think is the most likely thing. It's more accurate to think of ship design like an organism evolving and there are mutations some of them do nothing some of them do something some of them did something and stayed on for later on and so what i think is going on with the mast rake is in the early colonial period there was a great deal of timber around there were trees all over the place but cordage rope was at a premium Mm. And if you're going to build a small, like, say, log canoe, and you're going to stick a mast in it, you'd get a great big tree, and you'd stick it in, and you'd have it leaning back so it would, like, support itself a little better when you put load on it with a sail. And um, also for the reasons of where you would step that mast and have the center of effort of the sail, like, balanced over where it needed to be in the boat, you would tilt the mast back. And uh, I think over time... That just sort of became, well, this is how we do masts. Because you couldn't just take these masts and straighten them because it would fool with where the center of effort of the sail plane is. Mm. However, you could rig this boat so the center of effort of the sail plane was the same and the mast was straight. It would make no difference at all. I mean, it looks cool, you know. (laughs) It does uh, look cool. But Baltimore Clippers are primarily fast because of their hull shape, which is uh, skinny and a very narrow, sharp V. What's called in... in, um, in historical parlance, it was called sharp-built. That's the name that got thrown around when, when talking about these, these things. This is our little rowboat. I am going to have fun rowing around St. George's Harbor in Bermuda with a dark and stormy <laughs> when we get there. And uh, these are, this is another example of uh, new and old at the same time. This stuff is called Vectran, and it's a space-age fiber that we are making our new running force days out of. So we've taken this space-age fiber. This line has a breaking strength of approximately 50,000 pounds. A lot of pounds. Yeah. And uh, But we have parceled it and served it like they did back in the day, so it looks like it belongs on a tall ship. Huh. <clears throat> The other side are our life rafts. Uh, if the vessel were to sink out from underneath us, these things would float free and a hydrostatic release would inflate them. Mm. Let's hope that doesn't happen. I hope uh, not too. And up here on the bow, this is the anchor windlass. Um, and this is the anchor chain. And uh, we use we, we would use this to pull the anchor up we use it you know especially when we travel we we do anchor quite a bit at night Um, and uh, looking aloft there that is you could see the topsail yard that's what you were asking about before whether uh, people climbed up there Mm -hmm. Uh, they most certainly do and uh, you could see the foot ropes uh, below the yard that they stand on to sort of lean over the yard like you've seen in you know paintings and stuff to uh to furl the sail up cool so that is the ship thank you for the tour oh you're very welcome thank you for coming down
You're listening to Captain Jordan Smith. Next, he tells us uh, how he and his crew keep the pride in peak condition. What are the main things you have to look after? What are the things that take you to Home Depot? Well, it's all about, with a wooden vessel, you always have your eye out for rot. Pride had very, very good timber selected for her when she was built, and so we've had very minimal problems with that. But it's a constant matter of keeping the wood coated. Mm. So a lot of painting, a lot of varnishing. Like all the deck seams are caulked with with pitch, and uh, every once in a while one will spring a leak, and that has to be redone. So it's very much a constant refinishing effort that that comes in waves when we have time to do it. And Mm -hmm. you never really reach a finishing point because by the time you reach the finishing point, it's time to start at the beginning again. So, um, and uh, every year we haul the vessel out of the water. We take her down to uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. And um, there's basically, they have a cradle for us and it's this giant platform that picks the whole thing up. And that's when we paint the bottom. Uh, We recalk uh, hull seams as needed uh, on kind of a rotating basis also. Although of any wooden vessel that I've seen, this thing does not leak at all. I mean, it, we, we mopped the bilges out in the fall and came back and looked at them in the spring and there was nothing there. <laughs> what, are the, uh, what are the maintenance tasks that you dread most, though? Well, I don't dread them. They have to do them. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the prerogative of being captain, I suppose. <laughs> that's right. Um, I don't know. I mean, earlier in life when I had to do these kinds of things, and this was before people got smart about wearing dust masks and stuff, but, but working with the bottom paint can be kind of nasty because you have to send a portion of the old stuff off first. And, you know, it's toxic and got nasty chemicals in it and... Pretty yeah. un, pretty unfun. <laughs> <laughs> but you're smart about it now. Yeah. And Safer. also, you know, our engineer has to deal with this, but of course, they are marine toilets, and the pipes are smaller, and they get clogged, and getting them unclogged is an extremely unpleasant task. I would but, imagine just using those toilets is not always a super pleasant task. What about the actual uh, sails themselves? What, what kind of maintenance goes into those? Uh, the sails are made of this stuff that's called Oceanus, and it's uh, it's basically Dacron. It's a polyester, so it's a synthetic. Just like they had in the War of 1812. Exactly, but it looks like canvas, <laughs> except it doesn't rot and it doesn't mildew. Um, so a lot of the tall ships use them, and um, there's always, like, it just sort of depends on what they need. There's a certain amount of... Like small repairs and restitching that goes on usually during the winter. If they and kind get of a hole in them or something. Yeah, exactly. Like and and like as needed over the course of the summer. And, sure. and usually, I probably you could probably get close on ten years out of a mm-hmm. sail. I mean, it varies depending on how much you use it, of course. Uh, but we sail this vessel a lot, and it seems to be pretty much what we get. Do you keep extras on board in the? Yeah. Not for everything, but we do yeah. have like a couple of you know heavy weather sails and things like that. Like the jib, for instance. What part of the sail is the jib? If you can. Oh, just the, j- uh, the jib is one of the sails. On this ship, it's the second one back. So there's <laughs> okay. the jib topsail, then the jib, then the staysail, then oh. the foresail, then the mainsail, um, and then the topsail is above that. Right. So the jib this past winter required a pretty significant repair. Mm. And a company called Quantum Sales in 
Annapolis let me sort of use their floor space to repair the sale, which was very nice. And most of the time, they just charge people for that. But, sure. but because yeah. we're a nonprofit and we're always howling about how poor we are, uh, <laughs> uh, they did that for us as a donation. And um, that involved uh, a much more significant effort. You had to pin the whole sale out and replace large portions of three panels. So, mm. you know, like... 20 or 30 square feet of it got replaced and as as i had worked as a sailmaker for many years earlier in life i sort of dusted off those skills and Mm -hmm. did that so uh (laughs) there are i assume also a lot of like ropes and cords and everything that have to be looked after yeah and that stuff like everything else it's it, it has a service life too and and the service life is related to how much it get used and how much strain it gets put under and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and uh we have and it's just a matter of constant monitoring you know we have uh one of the ship's officers called a bosun b-o-s-u-n uh it's more bodlerization of boat swain you know as Mm -hmm. in on an old sailing ship they would take care of all the small craft and and the rigging and and that is what the job is is uh doing rig inspections uh if she finds something that sets off an alarm bell she'll show it to us and we will figure out what we're going to do with it so from your perspective you've you've sailed modern ships as well mm-hmm. um are there significant differences for you when you're captaining on a boat like this one as opposed to to one of those more modern modern vessels well um in terms of your responsibilities and such, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We have all the the modern stuff. We have computer charting, and we have engines, and we have a water maker, and we, you know, you know so it's got all the stuff. It's just got an old-fashioned rig. <laughs> and as a sailing machine, Pride compares very favorably to modern mm-hmm. boats. I mean, she's high-powered and fast by any standard at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, we don't have a washing machine, and that's a shame. But uh, um, you know, the, the 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 skills needed and the and the demands of the job are they're not identical, but they certainly overlap a lot, depending on what kind of vessel you're on. Yeah. How does the pride of, of Baltimore two fit into Baltimore itself? Um, how much work do you do with and in relationship to the city? Well, this coming year, we're spending, the majority of the year will be spent in and around Baltimore. And uh, in part, that is out of a desire by the state government, who Which provides partially funding, funds it, yeah. Yeah, to, to work with us and, and, and do things around here. Now, yeah. that can involve you know like receptions for the governor and we do other stuff with the port authority uh we we do education programs in conjunction with fort mchenry Mm -hmm. um history stuff obviously and we do um public tours and sales mostly in the in the inner harbor down where the constellation is and you know ever since the uh, building of the first Pride of Baltimore, that has been part of the ship's role, is to be the people of Maryland's ship and the people of Baltimore's ship via those things. You're not from Baltimore originally, though? I am not. I grew up in Long Island, New York, and uh, I came to Maryland in 1990 to go to college. I went to St. Mary's College, which is down in the southern tip of the state. 
has being co-captain of the the part of Baltimore given you a different perspective on the city or the state? Yeah, I mean, I've always been, I've never exactly ever been a a pro-city kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But I got to say that Baltimore, it, it kind of grows on you as a place. It's, a, it's, you know, generally speaking, the atmosphere of Baltimore is, is a pretty, it, as cities go, it's a pretty low-key, friendly kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go have a beer in a bar and like strike up a conversation easier here than you can in many other places I've been. <clears throat> do you uh, do you ever get to have a beer here on the ship or is that uh... Oh yes, we do. Yeah. I mean it, it n- not when underway, of course. you know, and uh, but if when we're tied to the dock for the night and everybody's done with work, the, then yes. <laughs> What's your favorite part about captaining a ship like this one? Well, I mean uh, First of all, as in the world of tall ships, the Pride is one of the most famous and recognizable ones in the world. Mm-hmm. And so there's a great deal of, uh, well, pride that goes with that. I mean, I remember I saw this vessel for the first time in 1992. Uh, I was with my parents on our boat in New York Harbor. And uh, I think it was a tall ship event commemorating 500th anniversary of Columbus. And so all the other ships from all over the world, they're all motoring into the harbor and going to their spots up along the Hudson and East Rivers to prepare for the parade the next day. And they're just motoring in and they're motoring in. And, and then the pride comes in with every sail in the locker set, just haul in the mail, you know. And it was, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And so just the opportunity to be the guy doing that is... <laughs> pretty good it's <clears throat> awesome uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your work and the uh and the ship today oh you're very welcome thank you for coming it was a pleasure thanks so much thanks for listening to this episode of working i'm jacob brogan we'll be back after a one-week break with the beginning of our detroit series which we're really excited about We hope you'll catch up with our Baltimore series in the meantime, but if you're looking for something else to listen to during the break, uh, you should absolutely check out the Slate Conspiracy Thrillers Movie Club, which is working its way through films like The Manchurian Candidate and They Live that might help explain our own paranoid moment. Uh, We'd also love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Our email address is working at slate.com, and we do read and respond to all of those messages. Uh, you can also listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. Working is produced and edited by Mickey Capper 